This is the Illuminate Podcast, a Sandy Boy production. Each week on the Illuminate Podcast, the hosts will bring you insightful conversations and stories of people who are illuminating their own lives through their business, work, community, family, and world. Hi, friends. Welcome to the Illuminate Podcast. I am one of your hosts, Kristen Srewer, and you are listening to episode 44. Today's episode, I interview three trend-setting sisters, Amal, Zeneb, and Miriam Muzaffar. In this episode, they made me laugh. They made me think really hard about what I'm doing in my community to lift others up, and they left me feeling so empowered. Coronavirus has devastated the world, but it has also brought some positivity to many communities. We really wanted to bring onto the show some of the positivity that was happening around this. The Muzaffar sisters are the perfect example. They were raised in New York and decided to own this moment to give back to the New York community and help where they could. They did this through fundraising and working with a supplier to bring PPE to the hospitals when it was desperately needed and by working with a local food bank. These sisters also started a lifestyle clothing brand called Bad and Delicious, where they are designing clothing for the everyday woman that can transition from, get this, work to play to the gym. But the brand is so much more than that. It's brought together a community helping empower women to be the best versions of themselves and own their moments. In this episode, you'll hear from all three sisters. Before we begin, I wanna share a little about each of them. Zeneb is the founder and CEO of Beautiful and Delicious. She is often laughing at her own jokes, singing loudly to 90s hip hop, or working on her hook in the boxing gym. Miriam is the managing director of a brand consulting agency in New York. She feels most at home getting lost in the adventures of her characters in the novels she's writing. And Amal is a product manager on the AI team at Facebook, where she owns the machine learning strategy for video. She loves to stay active in her community and spends her free time dancing, reading, or learning something new. Yes, these sisters are amazing. Get ready for a conversation that is going to make your day and make you wish you could have dinner with these ladies. Enjoy my conversation with the Muzaffar sisters. Welcome to the show, guys. Thank you for having us. Thanks, Kristen. We're so excited to be here. Awesome. Well, this is my first time interviewing three people together. So <laughs> we're going to see how this rolls. And, um, you know, just for our for our listeners, uh, maybe the first couple of times, just say who you are when you're speaking so that they can they can catch who you are on the show. I learned about you guys through a colleague of mine. There's a lot of work you've been doing around New York City related to efforts around coronavirus and hunger. And you have a really interesting brand that you all are building. And so I really want to learn a little bit more about what you are doing. And so happy to have you guys on today. 
Thank you so much for having us. We're really excited to have this opportunity to be able to talk about the brand and some of the stuff that's happening in New York and our effort, um, you know, just being born and raised New Yorkers and what we're trying to do to help the, you know, New Yorkers and what they're facing during this pandemic. And, and give back to our community. Yeah, I know. I want to hear more about what is happening in New York. Before we get there, tell me who you guys are. Your three sisters. Yes. Right. Yes. So I'm the eldest. This is Zanub. Um, and then we have Miriam and then Amol. And so we started a brand. It's called Beautiful and Delicious with a play on the word bad. And the idea behind the brand is to inspire women to live their badass lives. We want women to take courageous steps in their lives. And we hope to create a community that we're creating a community and building a community around that idea. And when we talk about your badass life, we mean, you know, to owning the space that you're in and um, recognizing the, the, the experiences that you're having and, and trying to take steps and pushing yourself out of your comfort zone so that you are um, achieving your goals, no matter how big or small, but anything, any, anything badass is when you are achieving your goal, no matter how big or small, and you're pushing yourself out of your comfort zone. And so that is what it means for us to live your badass life. And, you know, and, and I know a lot of times there are brands that tell you, oh, well, you should be, you know, uh, this fabulous business owner woman, or you should be pushing yourself to do really, you know, difficult things. And really it's about, you know, if you're, if you're a stay at home mom, you know, own that space and, and live that truth and be badass at that. If you are a teacher or a business owner or, you know, whatever it is, as long as you are living your truth, that is you living your badass life and taking time out to recognize that and recognizing those moments. I love that. So Tell me about the brand. What are your products? So, um, Zanab again. Um, right now, we started with a capsule collection. We did a collection of t-shirts and sweatshirts, two different kinds of sweatshirts. One is a crew neck and one is a zip-up hoodie. And we really wanted clothes that worked with women throughout the day. Um, we wanted to create a brand, um, a clothing brand, where women felt good in their clothes and that you know they could take their... Uh, we realized that women are living um, very complex lives and we wanted to have stuff that could work with your existing wardrobe and um, work well with each other. So what we really like about our designs is that they're sophisticated and clean lines so that you could dress it up or dress it down. Um, so you could wear your T-shirt. We like to say that you could wear Thursday night's T-shirt under Friday morning's blazer. I love yeah. that. That's awesome. <laughs> and um, uh, this is Mariam. And I would say, you know, a, a lot of the the collection that we created so far, the, uh, this is our um, our first collection, is kind of transitioning along the way uh, work has transitioned for, for women. For a lot of women, they are not working in formal work cultures anymore where, you know, you have to wear a, a, a business suit. I know a lot of women still are. I actually used to practice law and I transitioned my career into a creative space. And all of a sudden being able to wear jeans at work was like a, a revelation for me. But, you know, kind of through that process, I've seen so many uh, different work environments and people's lives. And so really, um, that was the, the idea behind our first collection. Also, our products are made in the USA. Our fabric is also sourced here. Um, and so that was really important to us as well. We wanted to create designs that we could, you know, um, completely control the process within the US. Yeah, this is Amal. 
Um, just to add to what Zanab is saying, I think our brand really embodies the essence of being badass and women pursuing their goals. And especially in the apparel and fashion industry, oftentimes, more often than not, men are creating the clothes that women are wearing. So how many times have we heard our friends say that this brand just doesn't fit me right, or it's really hard for me to find a pair of pants that works with my body. So it was really important for us as three different women to be part of the creative process and to really create clothing that can work for all three of us with our three different lifestyles and our different bodies and the different ways that we go about living our lives. And I think that that's something that's really different and you don't see a lot these days, although it is getting better. Um, but it was something that was really important to us. And when we first started um, getting into the, you know, this has been years in the making. So when we first started the design process, we were really looking at sweatshirts and it really kind of started with like, we wanted a cool sweatshirt and we went into the market and either you could find a sweatshirt on the lower end, like something from Target or Old Navy, or you could find something on the higher end, a designer sweatshirt that's going to cost you, uh, you know, around $250, $300. And so we really wanted a, we really wanted a sweatshirt that could be mid-range in cost and also work with you. It wasn't looking too athletic where it looks like you just came out of the gym. And it wasn't looking so dressed up with like designer names and designer logos. So if you look on our website, you'll see that right now the first two designs that we did are very simple. Um, and we kept that aesthetic in mind. So like, for example, our hoodie, we don't have strings for the hood. Um, we purposely left those strings off because we wanted it to look clean and something that you could wear in a variety of ways. Um, so that was kind of the idea behind that. That's great. Now your business, your bad is online currently. Yes. Okay. Did you, do you have any plans for a brick and mortar? I guess the way of the world is changing significantly now for anything brick and mortar. Yeah. I mean, we would love to, I guess, you know, eventually, but right now we just, we just launched in December. Um, and you know, we started off doing a, a couple of small pop-ups and then, um, we were just getting started, you know, to get back into the mix of things. When all this happened, we were supposed to be hosting an event, a, a few um, events in March, a workshop. Um, there were a couple of things that we had and all of that now is tabled. So, mm. yeah. So three sisters going into business together. How's <laughs> that going? <laughs> yeah, it, it's been a journey. Um, <laughs> and this is Mariam again. I think, um, you know, as, as we've referenced, um, we do have day jobs as well. So I think balancing our jobs along with our family life and our family dynamics and relationships is ha has been interesting. I think um, not without bumps. Um, I will, you know, I, I'm sure it's the, it's the case for anyone starting a business with partners. But I think when it comes to sisters, you have your existing dynamics on how you talk to each other and joke with each other as sisters. Um, but then all of a sudden when you're sitting down planning a collection or thinking about how we're going to um, design a photo shoot, um, your different perspectives come out in the workplace. And I think we're not used to um, how we are with our colleagues. 
you know, I'm sure other people face this, that, you know, you might be different at work than you are with your family. And all of a sudden we are trying to blend that together. So um, there are ups and downs, I'd say. Yeah. There's also a different level of filters. You know, when you're, when you're working with your colleagues, your coworkers, you're, you have a lot more filters and with sisters, especially the three of us, we're very close. So we say things to each other and not maybe the best way, whereas (laughs) we would probably use a lot more, um, consideration when talking to a, a fellow coworker. Sure, that makes sense. Um, this is Amal. I think it's also important for us to try to balance the line as perfectly as we can, which we definitely don't do. But for example, I could be talking to Zanab on the phone about a party that I'm going to or an exercise class that I just did. And we'll start getting into a conversation about bad, about production, about marketing. And we've kind of taken our personal conversation and made it into a business conversation. So I think those moments are okay, but it's important for us to find balance because we don't want our entire relationship to become about the business. So it's been important to try to figure out how to maintain these two things separately, although naturally they are going to come together and we're okay with that, but we just need to be conscious of it. Yeah, that makes sense. So you three were born in New York. Mm -hmm. Yes. Born and raised. Okay. For your whole, your whole lives, you were there. Did any of you leave? Tell me a little bit about, about your background. So um, this is Zanab. I went to Vanderbilt University. So that was the first time one of us left New York for school, like to live somewhere else. So um, I was born in South Carolina and we moved to New York um, when I was two years old. And so we've been in New York um, our whole life, except for college. I went to Vanderbilt University, which was in Nashville. And that was the first time one of us had left the home and had left New York. Um, And that was definitely an interesting experience for me being Pakistani, being Muslim and leaving New York, which is so diverse um, for Nashville, Tennessee, many years ago, which at that time was not as diverse as it has become now. Um, And so I was the only Pakistani Muslim woman in my graduating class, in my undergraduate class at Vanderbilt. Wow. So what did that feel like? Um, It was, you know, it was really interesting. Uh, It was an interesting experience the four years that I was there. I made a lot of good friends, but I think I had to really understand and redefine my identity because my identity growing up in New York was so based on being Pakistani, being a New Yorker, being Muslim. Um, That was what we, that's what we knew. And we were very proud of that. And so coming to the South, you know, there's already so many ideas around being a New Yorker. Then there were so many ideas around being Muslim and people didn't even know where Pakistan was. They didn't understand Pakistan at all. So it was a really interesting uh, place to be and, and trying to learn about myself and my own identity. Wow. Yeah. You really, I mean, you were this representative of sort of like three elements of your three main elements of your identity in a place. Yeah. Yeah, That's amazing. Now were your, are your parents from Pakistan? Did they immigrate to the U S okay. 
Yeah, our parents immigrated to the U.S. in the late 70s for um, for Ph.D. programs. So that's actually how they ended up in South Carolina and why Zana was born there. Um, so they went to the University of South Carolina and then ended up moving to New York um, for my mom to go to law school at NYU. So uh, and that's when me, Mariam, was uh, born in New York uh, when she was in law school, actually. Um, so so, yeah, that was kind of their journey. And they were always planning to go back. I think in their minds, they came just for school. But I think like many immigrants, um, they've been here over 40 years now and uh, um, no plans to go back permanently, although, of course, they do visit often. Yeah. Do you have a lot of family still in Pakistan? Yes, we we have most of our cousins and our aunts and uncles are still there. So we do see them whenever we visit. It has been, I think last time the three of us were there was in 2017. So we don't get to go as often as my parents do. But we also have some cousins that we're close to that live in the U.S. and also a few in England that we're also really close to. Yeah. And I think for us in particular, growing up in New York, you know, our parents really focused on um, building a community here in New York City, where we grew up uh, when we were when my parents first came in the 1980s, there were not um a ton of Pakistanis or even Muslims on Staten Island where we grew up. And so they, alongside a few other families, really worked to develop a community. And because we didn't have our grandparents here or our cousins here, like a lot of other people did, um, you know, the people we grew up with, our parents, friends, their kids really became our close friends growing up. And that becomes your family. So our community was a big part of our identity growing up as Pakistani Muslim New Yorkers. And I think just to add to that, our identity, to what Zanab said, it is Pakistani, but it's also Pakistani American and Pakistani New Yorkers. As we have met other Pakistani Americans that grew up in different parts of the country, their communities are different and their connection to their identity is different. So ours is really a combination of both being New Yorkers, because that is where we were born and raised, but also our Pakistani heritage and how that has translated into the the community that our parents helped to build here. That's really awesome. Did it, so is it like there's, do you guys have um, in New York, there's a, there's probably a large Pakistani contingency, right? Now, now there, now it's exponentially, you know, there was a time when we were young where we knew every family, we recognized every face. And now there are so many people that, um, I have no idea, you know, who, who people are because the community has grown so much over the years. Okay. That's amazing. Yeah. Urdu's the national language. Is that what you, what you guys speak? Yes. yes. Okay. So we grew up, um, with my parents speaking it in the house and we all learned it as our first language. Okay. Are there are there other local languages within? Yeah, that's a good question. Yeah, so um, our parents both speak Punjabi as well, um, and so we grew up around Punjabi being in the household and with their friends, but we never learned to speak it. It's just one of the languages that we can understand pretty well. I can't say I can understand all the jokes um, because those can get hard, um, but we are, you know, we're very familiar with it. Um, and our mother, who is uh, Patan, one of the other ethnic groups in Pakistan, she speaks Pashto, although sadly we never learned that language um but my mom speaks about four to five languages um we only really got one under our belts okay yeah that's awesome that you have one I'm always so amazed by many countries that have you know if there's different ethnic groups or tribes within these 
within a country, people speak like multiple languages and they communicate with so many communities. And we just, yeah, in the U.S. We just just switch between them so seamlessly. My parents do it with their friends or their family members. It's amazing. Uh, You know, if I could have one superpower in the world, it would be that I could communicate in every language. (laughs) I would love to as well, actually. (laughs) I, I love languages. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not naturally gifted at languages, but I'm, I would love to be able to communicate in all the languages. Yeah, that would be cool. So, okay. So I want to talk a little bit about what's, what New York is like now, because obviously coronavirus is what our world is centered around currently. And especially as you all have lived in New York for your whole life. And I've seen pictures of New York and I mean, there is something, New York is just one of my favorite places. It is, it's, has this enchanting feeling for me. I always look forward to going there. I lived there briefly after college. My dad is actually, he grew up in Washington Heights. So yeah, so he, so we have a lot of connections to New York and I have one of my brothers living there. So I've spent a, a good amount of time. And now that I'm looking at these pictures of the city, I just can't even believe it. Can you just describe what it's like there right now? Sure. So I think one thing while you were speaking, I mean, we closed the windows so that it wouldn't disturb us, but there are sirens. You know, when the pandemic first happened and we were in quarantine, we would hear sirens all day long. Yeah, I would say like late March into early April, it was really haunting. Yeah, and you could you could identify the times that you didn't hear sirens more than you could you could identify the times that you were. I mean, like it was that stuck out to you more because you literally heard them all the time. Um, and so that was that was a really difficult part um, about New York. Um, right now, we're in Staten Island at our parents' house. But you want to talk a little bit about the city, Emil? Yeah. So. We have cars, so we've been able to drive around and support some of our favorite restaurants in the other boroughs and just driving through neighborhoods that are normally so heavily populated, storefronts that you can't even see the front of because there are crowds outside of them. Everything is empty virtually, especially the weather hasn't been great, so even people aren't tempted to go outside. They're, the big iron gates in front of the stores are you see them everywhere so it is very very stark especially when you're going out and about in that way yeah but one thing I will say especially for my friends who have asked me about what New York is like I have seen New York go through a lot of things in my lifetime Um, Hurricane Sandy and 9-11 and one thing that I think is really true about New Yorkers is that they support each other and they come out for each other and they want to help each other so Everyone says that New Yorkers are rude, but New Yorkers are following the rules. Everyone, if you're going out, people are wearing masks. People are being very kind and very polite to each other. People want to help each other. And I really only see that essence come out in times like this. So it it, it feels like New York to me, even while it doesn't at the same time, if that makes sense. Yeah, that totally makes sense. And that is really interesting. It's, it's all, it's about looking at silver linings and positive that can come out of crisis and seeing that people are wanting to help one another is really remarkable. 
Yeah, I think I think that's also what I've always loved about being from New York and even more so living during this time is seeing the unity that comes together, you know, um, seeing some of the small businesses we follow on Instagram, um, reposting each other to encourage us to also go to their businesses, you know, trying to really support um, their neighbors on their block to say, hey, um, I sell coffee, but they sell pizza. Like, please go to both of them. You know, we want us, you know, we want our 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 neighborhoods to look the same after all of this. And I think that's been really heartbreaking is when we have gone outside just to get groceries or something and seeing things so shut down and just really thinking in your heart and praying that those businesses are going to make it through because they are what make our city so unique. You know, it's not the, the chain restaurants or the skyscrapers that make New York what it is for us. It's, it's the people. Yeah. You know, I've had, so I live in Indianapolis and one of our favorite restaurants that's been here for decades closed, um, like permanently closed from this. And it was so sad. sad. The day they closed, they were um, getting rid of their beer and they were having their final meals. And so I tried to go and get some. And by the time I got there, which was really about 30 minutes after they opened the doors for that, they had sold out of everything because it was just this, you know, it's this mainstay. But then I went up the other day to this little local, it's kind of like this culinary place that um, they have a bunch of different meals that they prepare each day. And then they have kind of a marketplace in a sense. And I had walked up there just to get some coffee beans and from our local Tinker Street Coffee, which is a great roastery here. And I was asking them how their business is doing. And they're like, we hate to tell people this, but better than ever, because they wow. reinvented their business model yeah. Yeah. and people have come out. So it is interesting to see how there ha- some businesses have done really well or been able to thrive yeah. in this situation. And, and, but then you lose those businesses that are just so important to the community. Yeah. And that's, I mean, and that's something that I think has been really important to us to try to think about the city that we love so much, the people that we love so much. And, you know, we've received so much as, as, as New Yorkers growing up here and how can we give back? How can we support our community during this time um, has, has been something that's been on all of our minds during uh, the past few months. So you three have done a lot for your community since this happened. Can you talk a little bit about what you guys have been doing and what BAD has been doing to support the city? Yeah, sure. So, um, you know, right before um, the pandemic and we had to go under quarantine, we were in the process of going into production with our manufacturing partner in LA and they ended up having to shut down. So we were doing, um, you know, different, uh, adding more pieces to our line and they ended up shutting down. And so all of our production partners, either in New York or in California, are were closed, and we were, were not able to do anything. But we were we were seeing that there was a need to raise awareness and money for the food banks in New York. So I don't know if you've seen in the news, but not only in New York, but just across the country, we're having a, a huge problem um, with our fellow Americans facing hunger. It's a hunger crisis. And so we wanted to find a way to get involved and raise money and raise awareness for this issue, because I think that we take it for granted that, you know, we're able to go to the grocery store and get food. Um, and we wanted to get 
we, we wanted to find a way to do that. And so we created a fundraiser through Custom Inc. Um, and they allow you to make a T-shirt. And basically, 100% of the proceeds of that T-shirt that we designed went directly to a food bank in New York here in Queens called River Fund. Um, and Amal actually works with River Fund, so she can tell you a little bit about them. But the idea about the T-shirt was that we really just wanted to make a T-shirt that says New York Strong on the front. Um, and on the back, it says Keep It Back Six Feet, which is a play off of the FDNY trucks that say Keep Back 200 Feet. Um, and so... We created That's those. That's so cute. Yeah, it's been really special. So many New Yorkers have reached out to us about how what that means to them because of the play on the FDNY. Yeah, and I think you know New York Strong was really what we were all feeling. Um, and when we were, you know, coming up with the design, we played around with a few different things that could go on it. But that's, I think, the feeling that resonated with us and even our friends that we talked to is our strength. Um, not just as New Yorkers, because also just as Americans, um, you know, we, we've had a lot of people buy the shirt who are not from New York, who want to support that spirit of um, resilience for, for all of us during this time. And yeah, I can add about how we came about the River Fund. I had actually, this is Amal with my high school friends, started a fundraiser that we called No Hero Left Behind to raise money for PPE for the healthcare workers on the front lines. And this was right in the beginning in March when the PPE situation was dire, absolutely dire, and people were completely desperate. So the way that that came about actually was from Mariam. Her best friend is a nurse who has been on the COVID floor here in Staten Island for 10 weeks. She's been on it the entire time. And she was messaging Mariam about how they don't have adequate PPE and she doesn't know when they're going to be able to get them and if we can help her try to find a mask. So Mariam had posted it on Instagram. I posted it on Instagram. And one of my close friends from high school, Eddie, he called me and he said, hey, one of our former classmates has a business that is managing medical supplies and they can actually help us get N95 or KN95 masks to the US should we do something. And for him and I, it was kind of a no brainer. And our friend Mark also came in on it and we had started this major fundraiser for PPE in New York City. And as we were driving around delivering masks to healthcare workers directly, I came across this big line of people in Queens and I asked about what what is this? Um, and it ended up being the River Fund giving food out to local New Yorkers. And we've seen these lines all over the city, really, really massive lines of people looking for food. And what we really liked about the River Fund is that it's it's hyper-local. So there are lots of food banks that are doing amazing work. But what I really liked was that the River Fund has a stand in Queens. They also deliver groceries to the homes of elderly or the disabled who can't come to the line. And they are on the ground operating every single day in these local neighborhoods across all of the five boroughs. So it really meant a lot to us to be able to contribute to an organization that is so community-based, which is something that's really important to us. The River Fund 
is based in Queens. They do deliver, but their their headquarters is in Queens. They do all their food bank work in Queens. Yeah. So people from all over New York City go to Queens. And actually, the really interesting thing about River Fund is that it's the the founder does it out of his home. So he converted his house into like this place where he stores all this food, and um, people come for from all over New York City to stand in line for the uh, for groceries. Wow, that's amazing. And I think um, on uh, we've uh, since we've been working with them the past couple of weeks, we've learned that these days during this period, they are serving 2000 families a week now, which mm-hmm. has which I think they told us is more, more than three times what they were doing before. Um, and food banks across the city have seen a five times increase in the number of people who need help, mm-hmm. uh, which is which is awful. I mean, just five minutes from where we grew up. I've seen um, people standing in line at a food bank outside of a church that is a food pantry, which is not something I've ever seen before. I mean, that just tells you the scale of the crisis. Yeah, absolutely. That's awesome that you guys have been able to support them and that they've they've been able to scale up to serve as many people as they are able to serve now. Yeah. And the amazing thing is um, just $20 feeds a family for a week which is incredible. And we were so excited to have exceeded our goal to sell 100 t-shirts. I think as of this morning, the sale is now closed and we sold 121, 121, which was super exciting for us. Um, As Zanav said, 100% of the proceeds went straight to the River Fund. And I think we raised um, just under $3,000. So So that means that we're able to feed 130 families um, for a week, for one week. That's awesome, you guys. Which we're really, really happy um, uh, to, to have achieved that. But obviously, that's, um, you know, it's an ongoing crisis. So um, hopefully, you know, people will continue to give and continue just to be aware as well that, you know, I know we're all going through difficult times. Every single one of us is facing challenges. But um, to think of, um, you know, people who are who are really suffering as well. Yeah. And you know, just going back to the fact that, you know, we're, we are Muslim and we are fasting. This is the month of Ramadan. And, you know, this, you know, when you're fasting, you are very aware of your hunger, your thirst. And it's just another reminder of what people are facing. You know, we're lucky we can, you know, we know that at, at eight o'clock when the sun sets, we're going to open the fridge and we're going to break our fast and there'll be some food to eat. Yeah. But there are people that don't know what their next meal is going to be or where their next meal is going to come from. And so we've been really aware during this time to think about that as well and why it's so important um, to help people um, meet the need of food and 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 to fight hunger, um, especially in our country. It's ridiculous to think that people are going hungry here. Especially with COVID-19, hopefully we find a vaccine and the curves are being flattened across the country and across the world. But the lasting impacts of people losing their jobs and not being able to feed their families will go beyond the curve. So it's important to make sure that we're thinking about that and trying to help if we're able to, which we're fortunate enough that we can. Yeah. Yeah. And, And that we have a community that supports us too. Yeah, our, I mean, our community came together, the beautiful and delicious community and really supported us. And that's and that's how we were able to surpass our goal. That's awesome. Yeah. I love that. You guys are doing amazing work. Now with the PPEs, so you 
you created the fundraiser and then you were able to get the supplies shipped in. Yeah. So it was a journey. <laughs> uh, and I can, it was very, very hectic, especially if I think back to March, but we were fortunate enough that the supplier that we were working with, we knew personally, and it was very early on in the crisis that I think states and big institutions were kind of unsure about how severe the impact was going to be. So we were able to get in there early. Um, and something that we were really fortunate to have was, again, our community. We were able to get donations in really, really quickly um, and get the numbers up way faster than we thought. So we were able to order supplies back in March, and then they've been coming in on a rolling basis ever since. Um, we actually just delivered our last round of masks. And then we ended up getting from feedback from our partners on the ground, the doctors and nurses and medical professionals that we had been working with. They said that they really needed gowns. So we ordered with our last batch of money, level one isolation gowns that are supposed to come in within the next couple of days. And so even though the curve is flattening, a lot of these medical professionals have been reusing the same PPE because they just don't have enough supply to use a new one every day the way that they're supposed to or every week. So they asked for gowns, so we got some gowns in. Yeah, and, and I think the really amazing thing about um, Amal's efforts with her friends and, and people donating was, um, again, just going back to the importance of really being engaged in your community. Um, we were able to have the feedback and needs directly from the doctors and nurses in the hospitals across the city. Um, that was very different at the time early on in the pandemic to what the um, the heads of the hospitals were saying the needs were. And so there was a real disconnect there. And I think in, in that immediate crisis mode, um, this effort was able to help bridge that gap. So we were able to deliver it directly to those doctors and nurses that were not getting the supplies from their hospitals. Um to really help them. And, and we've been so, so happy to hear that now that the medical professionals are being tested for antibodies and COVID-19 in New York in particular, those medical professionals are actually tracking lower than the rest of the population because thankfully the PPE has worked, which is really good news that it has helped protect them um, from uh, exposure to the virus. Wow, that's really, you guys really did an amazing job of mobilizing and figuring out how to support the community. And, you know, I think that's very much what our, what the Illuminate podcast is about. It's how, how can you impact your world around you, your community around you? How can you use the resources that you have available to you to make the world a better place? And you guys are awesome. Well, thank you. And I think, you know, Kristen, it's like you said, it's it's anyone in, in a community. It, it doesn't, uh, you don't have to create a, a separate business or a nonprofit. You know, you can mobilize people that you know, and you'd be amazed how uh, inspired and motivated people get. Yeah. And that's what it is. That's what we mean when we say, like, live your badass life. You know, it is about, you know, owning this moment and saying, okay, what can I do in this moment? Um to be the best version of myself, to push myself and to do something greater than than me, you know? And, and how can I help my community or how can I better myself in this process? And I think very similar to the bad ethos of I'm not badass, similar to the bad ethos in that the definition of badass can span multiple things. So it's not just about I created a business or I'm a CEO. It can also be I 
I'm homeschooling my children or I made myself lunch today. Like these are <laughs> wins that we need to celebrate. Yeah. And similarly, it's not just I raised thousands of dollars for my community, which that's awesome, but it's also I wrote a letter to my friend or I checked in on someone that's living alone or I ordered a coffee from a small local business. I think it's celebrating what you can do for your community or what you can do for yourself, no matter how big or small it might seem to you. Yeah, I love that. And it is that is so taking that moment, stepping back and thinking about what can you do in that moment? How can you impact? And, you know, I think that is, you know, when we look back at this time, which is in this, it's just a weird world we're in right now. Yeah. And that's the only way I can describe it. Yeah. And no, it, it has is. its highs, really high highs, and it's got its really low lows. And no matter what your situation is and, you know, how, how can you live right in that moment and what are people doing to support one another? And it, I, I think that's the one thing that I've just been so floored by around this, um, even, even at a distance, right? How do you support somebody at a distance? Right. And, um, so it, it will be interesting to see what, what the world looks like on the other side of this. Yeah, definitely. So what's next for bad? What's next for your brand? What are you guys thinking? So, you know, things started to open up in California. So we're back in conversations with manufacturing to get a jogger set. Um, we That's what we were developing prior to the um, quarantine. So we're back in trying to get that done. Um, but in the meantime, we've been working on how we can um, make things ourselves for bad. So we actually started the, uh, I'm, I don't know if you've seen the trend for tie dye shirts and people are, yeah, <laughs> people are really excited about that. So we've been, you know, experimenting a little bit with that on how we could do that on our own. Um, we are really interested in, um, we were doing a workshop, um, prior to the, uh, quarantine and it was going to be, about celebrating your badass moments and teaching women um, how to recognize and celebrate those moments. And we're in the process of trying to create that into a webinar or some type of workshop that we can do through Zoom um, or something like that. So we're still trying to figure out how to how to put that together. Yeah. And actually, just to just to pause on that for a second, because uh, the reason why uh, we thought of creating a, a workshop and kind of a, a fun session for women in particular was when we did host a few pop-up shops uh, over the course of the last year, you know, we have a fun thing where we have a really cool board where when people come to look at some of our items, we ask them, hey, why don't you write on this, post it, um, share one of your badass moments, you know, anonymously, but put it up on the board. It was absolutely flooring to see every single woman that came by would just look really shy and embarrassed and they would look at their friend and they'd be like, oh, I don't really have anything. I'm not so sure. Whereas men that would come by, even though we don't currently have men's wear, but they would be interested to come by and we would obviously invite them to share immediately, no joke, within seconds. would be like, yeah, cool. They would write it down, put it up on the board. And me and my sisters looked at each other and we said, wow, this is a deep 
um, a, a deeper issue that, you know, in women and recognizing their achievements, it's not that those women didn't have them. They did. They just were um, struggling to think we're of struggling to think of them. And I, and I still remember this one woman who was struggling and her friend turned to her and said, wait, no, why don't you write, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I couldn't hear it. And then her friend said, oh, yeah, OK. And then she wrote it. And it was amazing. It was that she had just um, asked for a, a large raise from her boss and kind of made the case and was able to make it. And I was like, that is incredible. Um, but yeah, it was really interesting also to see um, that a lot of times men didn't even ask what it meant. Of what is a badass moment? They didn't even ask us. They actually just took the paper, wrote it, put it on the board. Whereas mm -hmm. women really struggled with even understanding what, what do you mean by a badass moment? You know, I think as women, we're constantly looking at what more could be done. Or like, what we've done wrong. Or what we've done wrong, as opposed to recognizing that moment, even a small moment. So you may not have achieved your greater goal, but you're achieving the smaller goals to get you to that greater goal. And so really celebrating and recognizing that badass moment um, is just any any moment where you've pushed yourself out of your comfort zone. And you've achieved, taken a one small step to maybe get to that greater goal. But recognize that one small step and say, hey, you know, I did this. Um, another example I've given is one of my best friends. She's really shy um, and she's, you know, she has difficulty flirting. And so we were, I talked to her about, you know, how to flirt. And I was like, you know, I'm really flirtatious. Yeah, be the expert. Uh, yeah, I'm really flirtatious. And I said, you know, there's this guy that she liked at this bar. And I was like, you know, just while you're talking to him, put your hand on his arm and that's, that's flirting. You'll be, you'll be flirting. Um, and she was like, no, no, I can't do it. I can't do this. I mean, this went on for weeks. And then finally she called me and she was like, oh my God, I did it. I did it. I put my arm on his, I put my hand on his arm and he asked me for my number. And she was so excited and so proud of herself. You know, that was her badass moment. Totally. Totally. pushing herself out of her comfort zone, you know? Um, and I think, you know, and, and that, that wouldn't be a badass moment for me because I am quite flirtatious, but for <laughs> me, I would say is, um, dancing. I, I, I get so nervous. I love to dance, but I don't dance, um, publicly. I get so nervous. And so taking a dance class, you know, Amal is actually a dancer and she's been dancing her whole life. And she pushed me to take a dance class with her. And I was so, I mean, I was on the verge of tears. I was, <laughs> I was in the back. I was, I was sweating. We hadn't even started yet, I, you know, but I, but then you felt so great. After. Yeah. I felt so great afterwards. It was, it was a wonderful experience. And, um, you know, it's, it's just, that was my badass a small yeah. badass moment for me. We started to talk about our badass moments, which is a thing that we do in our brand, as Maria mentioned. But one thing I want to touch on before I'm going to share mine with you um, is that when you asked us what's next for bad, I think what Zanab said is totally right in terms of what products we're working on and what trying to do workshops. But as we're talking through the experiences we've had with women and them sharing their badass moments, I think we wanted to do this before COVID, but I think COVID especially has helped us expand what we think about when we think about our brand. And one thing we have, we haven't marketed this yet, but we do have this available on our website is an affirmations coloring book. Um, so that's one step in the direction of trying to help women understand and own their accomplishments, no matter the size. So an affirmation like I am worthy 
or I am enough. Right. Um, and actually, I just want to say that Badass Moment is almost designed the coloring book herself. So oh, yeah. she did create it, um, which is really cool. Uh, awesome. so all of the artwork um, is is our own, as well as the affirmations. Um, and also something fun to do when, uh, you know, when you are stressed out is kind of just, you know, find a moment to be creative, but also remind yourself of 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 your strengths. Um, we, we, we do, uh, love the idea of affirmations. And the coloring book is, is our gift to our community. Yeah, it's, it's free. free. It's, it's free. free of charge. And so we just want to share it. We want to encourage women to find affirmations. We even have pages, blank pages where it says I am, and you can fill in your affirmation, um, whatever you're, you're, you want to be working on. Um, and so that, that's the idea behind the coloring book. That's awesome. Emily, we're going to share your badass moment with us. Oh, yeah. Um, I think for me, I work in tech. I'm a woman in tech. And there's a lot about how tech is a male-dominated industry. But I don't think you realize the magnitude until you're in it yourself on a day-to-day basis. And I think one thing that I really push myself out of my comfort zone is to speak up about that disparity. And so at my last company, I try to start a lot of initiatives to hire more women and bring more women in and just being having to explain why that's important or how you need to tailor your job descriptions and your interview panel towards being a comfortable environment for all types of people, not just cis men um, is, is a challenge and it's scary, but even just a little win for me, like a woman having a satisfactory experience in an interview or a woman even coming into an interview um, was a big accomplishment for me. And even owning that and being able to say that out loud is a badass moment, right? Being able to own that I worked for something and I pushed myself to do something uncomfortable and have uncomfortable conversations with my leaders um, was really important to me. And I think working on bad for so long has helped me to even get to that point. That's great. And yeah, I mean, you guys are so right though men are just are able to acknowledge those things or to ask for those things so much easier in general. Yeah. yeah and, and I think it's just, to be honest, when we look back at how, um, you know, girls and boys are treated in school, you know, there's all those studies about um, who gets called on when they raise their hand and, and, you know, those types of affirming um, experiences that men and women have that kind of, transfer that over time and so we're trying to shift that Mm -hmm. that's awesome now do you guys have other siblings or is it the three of you just the three of us okay so three (laughs) girls so that helps it sounds like you have a badass mom too we do we really do it probably helped empower you it takes some drive to get to that point right and I think it takes some encouragement and having other women other strong women around you to push you that way Absolutely. It is our mom. Um, she was one of the first people in Pakistan to go to uh, first woman in Pakistan in her a law school class. Um, wow. And she, and so she's always had this. That's been her ethos. She, you know, she was she was determined to raise this badass. Women. Yeah. And, and, you know, and even her going to law school in Pakistan at the time, she had to fight for that opportunity, you know, mm-hmm. uh, 
be able to do that. And then to not, and not just to, okay, great, you went to law school, but now I want to practice law, law and I want to, you know, um, have a career, which was not something that was, you know, the norm in Pakistan at the time. And I think she always emphasized education for us and she really wanted us to pursue what we wanted to do. So when I was little, I used to want to be an artist and my mom worked in Manhattan and we live in Staten Island. So my mom would go to these local art stores and bring me these art supplies so that I could practice that. If I wanted to do that, she wanted to support me. Um, and when Zana went to college, it wasn't common in our community for women to go as far as Zana did. The women who did go away went easier driving distance. Yeah, it was driving distance, like, you know, to Boston or within the East Coast. Nobody had ever gone in our community to school in the South or that far or the West Coast. And, and, my, and it was never even a question for our family. My yeah. mom encouraged us, my dad encouraged us to pursue those opportunities yeah. well, if we were lucky to receive yeah. them. Well, even I, I think back to me and Zanab when we were younger, because we're closer in age, my mom, I think I was six or seven, put us in Take One Dough. And said, I want my daughters to be strong physically as well and know how to fight and take care of themselves. And me and Zana became black belts in Taekwondo because. Oh, my gosh. That's us. badass. And, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And I remember not wanting to being like, why am I having to do this? I was so, so young. But my mom, it was my mom. She was so determined that, you know, um, I want my daughters to have those opportunities, but also being able to take care of themselves in every way. So That's we're very lucky to have had that support. That's awesome. Do you guys feel like the norms have changed in Pakistan and in your community in New York now to support women since, you know, you guys push boundaries, right? Your family push boundaries. Yeah, for sure. You know, um, all of the women in our family um, in Pakistan, everybody is educated. Um, you know, masters, PhD programs, doctors have careers, have careers um, and families, you know, definitely um, there's definitely in Pakistan, you've seen that shift. Um, also in our own community, you know, girls are pursuing careers, going away to school, um, you know, to, you, all, all, you know, all the things that you see that American, uh, American kids are doing, um, Pakistani American kids are able to do those things as well. But, you know, it depends on the family. Um, our family, you know, we, we have, um, we grew up in a very, uh, progressive community. Yeah. I was going to say, I think regardless of time, our community has been generally more liberal than I think many communities. I don't know if my sisters agree with me, but they're nodding. So it's, yeah, like yeah. <laughs> but, you know, it just depends, right? Like, you know, um, there's different communities and they have different, our community happens to be a very progressive one. You go, you could find a very conservative community in um, Brooklyn, and then you could go to Long Island and find a very liberal community. So it's just, it just depends on where you're living and who you kind of like the community that you grew up in and, and, and um, the, the families that you interact with. But I will say for Pakistan, I know so many people who are, you know, family friends or extended connections that, go to law school regularly, just like we do here. And I think back to my mom's experience so many years ago um, and how difficult that was for her. So definitely, I think as a whole, globally, a lot of the world is moving towards a place where there are more opportunities for women. Um, but and you need the people like your mom to pave the way, right? Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. To break and, those you know, barriers. Pakistan has even had a female prime minister. That's awesome. And we, yeah, yeah, in America, we still haven't had a woman president. So we're definitely, you know, there's definitely some progressive movement. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Yeah. 
Well, I want to ask you guys our end of podcast questions. I just love talking to you guys and learning about what you've done in the city and, um, and learning about your brand and excited to see it grow. And I just love, I love how your brand is just so much more than a product and that it is really creating this community and empowering women. It's, it's just awesome. So I'm excited to watch it grow. Thank you. And so what I'll do is I'll ask the question, then maybe you can each give your own answer if that works. Sure. Yes. Okay, great. So we are obviously talking to people who are illuminating. And so we always love to know who's somebody who's illuminating in your life. So um, this is Anab. I will start. Um, for me, I would say it's my sisters. Um, they are definitely the of people who illuminate my life. Um, they constantly remind me the good things about me and they shine the best part of, they're always shining the best part of life and showing me the best parts of life and the best parts of myself. Oh, is there a group hug going on? <laughs> we're, we're surprised. We're surprised. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's really nice to I know. just want to say that the <laughs> eldest sister always gets the bad rap. Okay. I'm actually, I do love and care about them both very much. No, we, we know that. <laughs> I'm so, so this is Mariam. So who's illuminating in my life? I know we talked about um, our mom, but I do really, she's the one that comes to my mind literally as a bright light because um, our mother is always smiling. Um, you know, people always say that about her and she has such a positivity and such a anything is possible attitude that um, I wish that I got uh, even more, more, more of that from her. Um, but if you ever go to her, I would say, oh, I don't know what I'm going to do. And she'll be like, what do you mean? Of course, it's going to work out. Of course, it's going to happen. And don't worry about it. And she brings that to everything she does. And it's such a it's such a um, anchoring thing for me to have that um, brightness from her. And I can say, you know, about 10 or 11 weeks into this, um, into this isolation, she has not complained once about missing anything or not being able to do something or looking at the downside. Um, and our rules for her have been really strict. Yeah. And, and you know, you know, and our mom, you know, we, we, we've kept her, you know, pretty, pretty close at home just to kind of keep her safe. And she's just been so uh, positive and optimistic and, and uh, she's definitely my, my illuminating person. Oh, I need, I need her. In my life, for sure. It does help. Especially because I feel like I've complained a number of times about things that I miss in life right now. So I know, that's good. I, I need to, I need to just channel her a little bit. It's hard not to. It, it is hard. Yeah. Um, this is almost, I think for me, we've talked a lot about our community throughout this conversation. And I've just thought about how much our collective communities really mean to me as the youngest Mariam and Zanab's friends have become like my pseudo older siblings. They've helped me with middle school bullies or my college applications. And it really means a lot as they continue to support us with that and our other initiatives. And also my own friends and my own community, I think specifically to this group of high school girls that I'm friends with. And we all come from different types of backgrounds and different, we work in different industries, but we all really, really support each other, whether we're having a bad day or a good day, or I'm always trying to start something and they're always supporting that. <laughs> so I think really what means a lot to me and what illuminates my life is the amazing people that we've all been fortunate enough 
to have in our lives. Yeah, that's great. Now, what's a book recommendation each of you have? Um, this is Anna, but my book recommendation is Rising Strong by Brene Brown. Mm-hmm. Um, I really love the book, and I think that everyone should definitely take some time to read it. It's an easy read. And um, the quote that I want to give from that book is, the most dangerous stories we make up are the narratives that diminish our inherent worthiness. We must reclaim the truth about our lovability, divinity, and creativity. So I, you know, I think that our, our biggest battle is within ourselves and the narrative that we're telling ourselves, the story that we tell ourselves. And it's really important if we're going to tell a story, then why not tell a good one? Mm. So if you're going to tell yourself a story, tell yourself a good one. And um, I think Brene Brown does a really good job in Rising Strong to teach us how to identify the stories that we're telling ourselves, um, identify those loopholes and how do we work on fixing that. And that's the idea behind Rising Strong. I love that. And that ties so nicely back into your brand. Yes. Um, And this is Mariam. My book is uh, The Seat of the Soul by Gary Zukov. I think uh, that has been a life-changing book for me. I've read it twice. I definitely intend to read it more. Um, If you are someone who has ever um, thought about oh, wow, what a coincidence, or I have that intuition, I have that feeling, or you've tried meditation and felt it um, meaningful uh, to you, I would recommend this book because uh, it really helps you realize that we are more than our thoughts. We are more than the stories that we're telling ourselves. Um, There is a soul inside of us. Uh, And just even the awareness of that and the being conscious of that um, is life changing. I would really recommend it. That sounds like a great book. Yes. Mine, I have a few that I thought of, but I'm going to share one that I read earlier this year called Educated by Tara Westover. Uh, It's about Tara's experience growing up in a family in a rural area and fighting for her access to education and how that really unlocked a lot of opportunities that she had in her life. And I think for me, it really helped me put into perspective things that I take for granted that I have in my life, like my education and a loving family and a loving community. And I think it's, she tells the story in such an incredible way, weaving in both what she learned and what she experienced at the same time. And I really would recommend it. It's also, I read it super quickly. Oh, I couldn't put that book down. Yeah, It's so so interesting. But yeah, that's, I mean, that's such a good takeaway from it of putting your own life in perspective. Exactly. And then my last question is, what is your message for the world? Um, So I would say that my message for the world is to, when you go into a situation, try to give people some grace. Everybody is dealing with a different set of cards and a different set of circumstances. And um, even though you may not agree on something or they may have a difference of opinion, um, they're, try to understand where they're coming from. Try to give people room and um, some some grace, <laughs> for lack of a better word, to, um, to, to hear them out and to hear their perspective. And I would say my message is around resilience. I think so much of the past couple of months and life in general is 
cultivating our resilience, but I would also say recognizing it. A lot of what has helped me get through some difficult times is looking back at when I've done it before and saying, oh, yeah, I've actually been through something else before and I made it through and I grew from that and I learned from that. And that helps me be resilient now and just kind of remembering my own power and strength. And so I would um, remind everyone to do that for themselves, to remind themselves of their power and their ability to bounce back. Mariam is very resilient. (laughs) Uh, I would say mine is about challenging your perspective. I think it's important to allow yourself to feel down when things are difficult, but at the same time, challenge yourself to turn things on its head and see it differently because it's easy to get caught up in negativity or not good feelings, but at the same time, allowing yourself to challenge your perspective see things from someone else's point of view or change the way you see something will open so many more doors for you and will allow you to grow as a person. Love all of those messages. And I have one more message that I would want to share with the world. The oldest. Please, please share. Yes, the oldest. I'm, I'm an oldest child as well. So yeah. you, you should definitely have the last word. <laughs> Thank you. Um, you know what? We're all badass. And we should remember that. And it is, it is, and if we need to stop and recognize those moments for ourselves um, and celebrate those moments. And that's really important because the, as women, we're doing a lot of different things and we should stop and recognize all the amazing accomplishments that we're doing throughout the day. Thank you, Zeneb, Miriam, and Amal. What a joy to have you on the show. You ladies are such an inspiration. Thanks for everything that you're doing in the community to lift it up and for inspiring others to do that. And thank you for joining us this week. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. It's how other people can find out about the Illuminate podcast. You can follow us on Instagram at the Illuminate podcast. You can visit our website at www.theilluminatepodcast.com. Thanks so much and have a wonderful week.